Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written published article, Who Was at the Helm? 
from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar, and you get a better buzz with, with the Savage Premium. So go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. What you're about to hear in today's podcast are classic pieces from huge events that we ran back in the early 90s. One was from Name Him and Shame Him, where I talk about the unity in the room of 2,000 people and about what compassion means. And it was built upon a desire to save this nation. I also talked about how all societies are built upon the building block of a family and the Ten Commandments and how the liberals have distorted the Ten Commandments into the Ten Anti-Commandments. In another piece, I talk about how I got into talk radio. My immigrant grandparents, I worked as a social worker. I remade myself. I rose like a phoenix from the dust. I talked about immigrants and epidemics in the 90s and my first radio demo. And I said, this is not about bashing immigrants. This is about the type we're getting. The quality of character is what matters, not whether they're an immigrant. I talked about immigration and self-protection, about lecturing on a cruise ship, what war clubs meant and what they mean to us. And most importantly, how disarming America is national suicide. Now, of course, if I didn't talk about food, it wouldn't be Michael. And I talk about how food is part of all cultures. When pasta was spaghetti, multiculturalism and assimilation to the contract with America, the savage contract with America, not that of Newt Gingrich. Finally, I discuss how the federal government has destroyed the Constitutional Republic and my 1977 book called Death of the White Male. I think you're going to enjoy every minute. You know, today's podcast was triggered by my appearance on Newsmax TV over the weekend where I asked, what is the compassionate right and do you belong? And I envisioned it as sort of a new movement, both for the nation and the Republican Party. I called it the comp right. And that's because I didn't want the left to continue to define the conservative patriot movement as deplorables or the alt right or uh, supremacists. It's all nonsense. And I thought we need a new catchphrase. I called it the comp right for compassion, where borders, language, and culture are the unifying themes, but where all citizens are welcome. I said citizens, all races, all sexual orientations, but I didn't say we should permit trans activists to brainwash our children. That means we should accept people who are gay, straight, bi, trans, lesbian, but the children should not be brainwashed. How hard is that for you to understand? It's one nation under all. That's what I'm trying to say. That's compassion. It doesn't mean rolling over to the radical left agenda that is using the LGBTQ movement to destroy the family and the nation. I say without the founding principles of the U.S. Constitution, as expressed in our borders, language and culture, we are all doomed to disappear both as individuals and as a nation. Now, many of you on social media took exception to this and said, no, we don't need compassion. We need more militancy. And I want to remind you that this theme was first introduced when I created the Compassionate Conservative events in the early 1990s, 
And George Bush stole this concept and used it as his own, giving me no credit. Pissed me off. But I was the one who first articulated the word compassionate conservative, as proven by my events that I ran before Bush was president. So now settle back and let's listen to the Newsmax appearance and then the rest of this great podcast on the Michael Savage podcast. Now we're going to talk about how did I develop the idea of the compassionate conservative? And is this approach still relevant given the militancy of the Democrat left? What does it really mean? I think I just explained what it means. It means a large tent, but it doesn't mean folding over to the militancy of the minority within that tent. That's very important. Now, how does the right wing pick up the pieces and reemerge in a post MAGA era? That's the real question. How does the right appeal to more people? How do we appeal to first generation Americans, urban Americans, classic liberals and more groups that are generally associated with the left? That's a big question. I don't know that I have the answer. And are the current crop of Republicans getting it wrong? Most of them are, by the way. What are they getting right? We'll have to wait and see if they got anything right. This is Michael Savage. Now, let's listen to the Newsmax TV piece, the one that sets the whole ball rolling. What are the comp right borders, language and culture? All citizens welcome. And we'll go into uh, all the rest of it just for your listening pleasure. Thanks for listening. We'll bring in the host of the Michael Savage podcast, Michael Savage. Dr. Savage, great to see you tonight. Uh, We almost had a bar fight on the floor last night or this morning, whatever you want to consider it. Uh, your thoughts on Rogers not only threatening to keep members of committee off committees rather for their decision to hold out, but also then almost attacking one of his fellow Republicans. Hey, Logan, thanks for having me. Look, what can I say about it? It looked like the Ukrainian parliament of several years ago uh, where people got into fistfights on a regular basis. I was hoping actually to see a real brawl. It would have been a relief after uh, Pelosi's uh, years in Congress. Rather than commenting on this, we know what it is. It's a power play. People were jockeying for position or uh, positions on committees and whatnot. I really think we need to focus on the Republican Party. What the heck is their message? They, they said Kevin McCarthy gave an interesting speech after he was finally nominated. You know, he'll reduce the IRS agents. He'll do this. He'll do that. It all sounds very good. But there's no unifying message from the Republican Party. And I think that they need to define themselves rather than let the left continue to define them. They need to say borders, language and culture in one way or another, because, Logan, you and I both know, even from high school biology, even a simple cell in a plant or an animal has cell cell membranes in an animal, cell walls in a plant. This administration under this corrupt Biden gang has literally melted down our cell wall and turned us into an amorphous blob where there's almost no nation left, where millions are pouring over the border like invading microbes. I have no other words for it, Logan. Anyone who studies this knows it. And the fact of the matter is, if the Republicans want to unify their their own voters, let alone people in the middle, in order to maintain their power, in order to maintain their control. They need to define what they stand for other than opposing the Democrats. So I would say don't let the left continue to define the conservative patriot movement. We are something I'm gonna give you, Logan. It came to me in a dream this morning. Would you like to hear it? Because it's gonna be first on your show. It, It came to me in a vision. I'm a visionary, I've written many books. 
And this was a vision I had this morning after watching that last night. I woke up thinking, we need a new movement and a new identity. The identity is not alt-right. Remember they try to define us as alt-right to make us sound like Nazis? Then we were white, white supremacists in order to make us sound like Nazis and fascists. We cannot let the communists continue to do this. We are the comp right. C-O-M-P means compassion. I envision a new movement for the nation and the Republican Party, Logan, and you're the first to hear it on this Newsmax show. Comp for compassion, where borders, language, and culture are the unifying themes. But, and this is the most important part, Wolf Blitzer, all citizens are welcome. All races are welcome. All sexual orientations are welcome. Because without the founding principles of the U.S. Constitution, Logan, as expressed in our borders, language, and culture, in our Constitution, we are all doomed to disappear, both as individuals and as a nation. And one other point, Logan, this theme was first articulated when I created the Compassionate Conservative Events in the early 1990s. And I want to remind your listeners that George Bush took my definition of compassionate conservative, if anyone wants to remember it, and he went very far with compassionate conservative. But don't forget it was me, I, Michael Savage, who created that phrase and ran events by that name, huge events. We must not let the left continue to define the conservative patriot movement. We are the comp right, not the deplorables, not the supremacists. All citizens are welcome, and I emphasize the word citizens. Now, you mentioned borders, language, and culture, your motto. I was going to lead into this next question, mentioning that being your motto. I'm glad you, you beat me to it there. Let's talk about that border. And that obviously has a lot to do with the language and the culture aspect. So after two years and more than three million border crossings, President Biden is getting ready to visit the southern border tomorrow. The trip coming after the president announced some new immigration policies earlier this week. Do you think he's just, you know, it's all an act going there? Oh, I'm at the border. I've done whatever I need to do. Him and Kamala Harris don't seem to be doing anything behind the scenes. And then Mayorkas is out on CNN telling everybody there's no problem. There's everything is under control right now. Joe Biden has been a pathological liar from the day he entered Congress. The man either doesn't know the truth or doesn't know how to state the truth. Everything that this phony does is a lie from the bottom of his twisted black soul. The fact of the matter is he has busted our borders wide open. The country is dying as a result, not only from illegal aliens who are mostly coming here for the welfare, not the work, but from the fentanyl crisis and the other drugs pouring over the border. If this is not stopped, we will have the same shootouts in this country between the US military and the cartels in the streets of America that they are having in Mexico right now. That border must be sealed with US troops or we're dead as a nation. You make I, a really good know. point, Dr. Michael Savage. And, and that report we just saw a little bit a little while ago from Jason Jones, the activity with the cartel on U.S. soil right now, if it becomes what's going on in Mexico, that could be very dangerous. And having been down there myself, that Rio Grande, it, it means a big river, but it's not a deep river because so many people can just wade across that feet, uh, water up to their ankles. And that is a problem. Uh, there's a lot of area with no border wall. Dr. Michael Savage, thank you very much for your time. Great to see you as always. Comp right. Comp right. You heard it first on your show right here on Newsmax. A new party uh, inaugurated on the count tonight. Dr. Savage, thank That's you. Right. 
Michael Savage, a host like no other. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion advised. One of the main reasons we had this event was so that you could meet each other. I mean that. I know you're not going to all meet each other today, but I hope that you've just looked around and seen people like yourself, maybe not like yourself, but inside there's a bond between everybody in this room. What brought you here? What made you come out to this event? It certainly wasn't just to see me. There's a little curiosity, but there's a deeper, deeper fabric of unity in this room. And that unity, we can say compassion, we can say conservatism, but what it is is a desire to save this country. You know, I'll tell you something, we are at a crisis point, we are at a crossroads, we all know that. That's what's motivated us to come out here today. And I'm going to tell one simple story today. And that's a story about a family. All societies, whether it be a tribe or a nation, all societies have always been and will always be built upon the building blocks called a family. And be they poor or be they rich, be they sick or be they whole, families are God's bricks. Now many people say I came from a dysfunctional family. I don't want to remember my family. Well, let me tell you something. You had no choice about that family. That was a sacred brick, as I said. Be that brick poor or rich, be it whole or be it unwhole. That was a sacred unit. All societies are built upon that brick called family. And today I'm going to tell you about one such family. And let's begin at the beginning with the Bible, because that's the beginning of the civilization that we all inhabit. I know there's prehistory. I know there was pre-biblical time. But let's go back to that time. And let's look at God's words to Moses with the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the Ten Commandments, and let's compare them as to what, uh, well, God wrote them. God told them to Moses, didn't he? And then Moses wrote them down. If you analyze the Ten Commandments, you will see, as I have, A, why God is a conservative, and you can win every argument you ever have with a liberal after this, and B, I was going to call this session why I am not a liberal. Not why I am a compassionate conservative, but why I am not a liberal. But let's start with God is a conservative. And let's see what God said to Moses and what the liberals would say to each commandment. One, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. That's the conservative statement. I am the Lord thy God. Commandment number one. What would a liberal say? There is no God. God is dead. Worship menstrual blood and chicken feathers. <laughs> Worship a stone. Worship a piece of wood. Worship a, a, a piece of crystal. Okay, let's look at commandment number two. <laughs> Thou shalt have no other gods before me. There is only one true God. Oh, really? <laughs> Ask Hillary. It takes a village of gods. It takes a village of gods. In Hillary's constellation, there's a god on every street corner. Number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, I needn't say a word. They, they laugh at God. They say there is no God. Four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Five, honor thy father and thy mother. Oh, really? 
according to Bill and Hillary, it's honor thy father and thy father. Honor thy mother and thy mother. Rebecca has two moms. John has two pas. She says, and he says, families today are different. A family can be many things. It could be six people in a household. It could be two fathers. It could be two mothers. It could be a mother. It could be, I can't say it. It's a mixed audience here. So remember what I said. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother. It's a conservative commandment. It's very clear. Thy father and thy mother. It doesn't say thy mother and thy mother. It doesn't say thy father and thy father. That is a holy brick of the Ten Commandments. God is a conservative. Now let's look at number six. Number six, thou shalt not murder. This is an intriguing one to conservatives. Liberals say thou shalt not murder except unborn babies. Thou shalt not murder except babies in the fifth months of, of pregnancy because the eye color was wrong or the mother was depressed. You know, it's interesting. If you study the Hebrew word, thou shalt not murder, you know, it doesn't say thou shalt not kill. By the way, there's a difference between murder and kill. For those of you who are warriors or soldiers or policemen, if you've ever thought about it, if you're a pacifist, that's your, that's your right. That's your right. But don't impose pacifism on all the world because the Bible does not prohibit defending yourself or your nation. I want you to understand that. The word is, is murder, not kill. As George Orwell said, George Orwell, the great English writer who wrote Animal Farm said, if a man comes to throw a bomb in your mother's house, throw one in his mother's house first. He learned his lesson. He had been suckered by the Sovietization of the intellectual classes in the 1930s till he went there and saw the horror of the Soviet Union. He came back and became a vehement anti-communist, George Orwell did, and he wrote great books, including Animal Farm, and he's the one who figured that one out. So remember, when a pacifist or a liberal says to you, it is wrong, you believe in the Bible, Mr. Conservative? How can you serve in the military? You, you're not supposed to, uh, uh, what? What are you not supposed to do? Defend this great nation against many, many millions who would like to take it away. Remember that one, thou shalt not murder is not thou shalt not kill. Seven, thou shalt not commit adultery, Bill Clinton. I mean, it's very clear. I mean, it's very clear. It's commandment number seven. You may want to commit adultery. Every man probably wants to be that dog within. Every man has that dog within. And that's why these commandments were written. Why do you think God said this to Moses? Because he knew what a wild lot mankind was. We were wild beasts. We were animals. We were Neolithic animals. And God said we got to come up with at least 10 rules for this pack of animals worldwide. So he said, thou shall not commit adultery, Bill Clinton. Now, number eight was written just, just for the people in the White House. And the words whitewater come to mind when it says, thou shalt not steal. Now, I realize that they weren't caught stealing. Nobody actually nailed them to the floor for stealing. But there's an awful lot going on there with bond trading and this trading and pork bellies and $100,000 profits. And I put it here and she put it there. And I really didn't get it and he got it. And I think Vince Foster took it and the thumb was upside down and the money went there and I didn't get it and I'm clean and I'm just a dynamic strong woman and I didn't steal nothing. Why God is a conservative? Just look at number nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Oh really? That's what the Democrats believe, false witness against thy neighbor. 
The reason the Republicans are down in the polls is they're telling the truth. I'm not saying I'm behind every one of their platforms, but these guys try to say it like it is. And what do the Democrats do? You want to kill Medicare. You want to poison the environment. You want to take away food from the blind and the disabled and the little children. I think it says right here, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, Mr. Democrat. How come you're bearing false witness against every Republican you run against? Okay, let's go to number 10. There's only 10 little rules. And this one I'm afraid, I'm afraid of number 10, because of this we may all be guilty at one time or another. I can see the father is laughing. Because it says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant. I mean, we're a compassionate group here. So in other words, even in the old days, the guy was looking at the manservant, nor his maidservant, aha. Uh -huh. Nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Oh, yes. Now of this, we may all be guilty. Even our liberal brethren will understand that we conservatives are only human. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. How did I get into talk radio? I was driven into talk radio by the liberals. I had no desire to be in talk radio. Uh, and I said, this is all about one family. But this family is an immigrant family. And I want to dedicate this entire program to these two people, my paternal grandfather, my paternal grandmother, two simple people. Not extraordinary, but in many ways, this grandfather of mine was as brave as an astronaut from the world he left behind and the world he discovered here. He left the world where they lived in a little house somewhere in Europe where there was a clay oven, there was no heat, and the older people had to sleep on top of the clay oven for heat. That's the world he left behind. And he came here and he worked seven years. This is a story that many people will share in this room. Seven years after seven years, it's almost biblically interesting, the seven years. He then had enough money to send for the grandma, my grandmother and my father and my aunt and another set of old, and they brought them all over here. And then he labored in this country, and he passed away about age 49. He died before uh, I was born. But I said, I will fulfill your dreams. I will get for this family what you dreamed of, what my father couldn't have. He wasn't here long enough. I will have it. So what did I do? I did whatever I had to do. You work in the drugstore. You work in the factory. You do what you have to do. You deliver papers, you cut the lawn, and you figure one day you'll keep slowly moving up from the entry-level job, and eventually in those days, education was really important, so you get the degree. So each step of the way, you get the first master's degree. They tell you, well, you need another master's, to get another master's degree. You write five more books, so you need another 10 books. But I wanted to be a professor. That was a big deal to me. Then I said, well, you gotta get a PhD. That's the union card. So I figured I'll get the best PhD in the country. I'll go to Berkeley in my field. Number one, got that, wrote four more books, when I got out, they said, sorry, there's no jobs for you. I said, why? They said, why not? It doesn't matter anymore because all the rules are off. No matter what you've done and no matter how far you've gone, there's no longer any room for you because you're not the right color, you're not the right race. Now, this is very sensitive, but that's what happened. It happened to a lot of people at different times in different ways. So I got really mad. I got angry. And I converted within into a new, another being over a period of time. As I told you, my first job out at a college was as a social worker, just to let you know where I'm coming from. I work with the poor of Manhattan's Upper West Side. It was almost entirely a brown and black people. I got along with them, they got along with me. I understood poverty, I grew up around it. 
and they understood me because I talked the language of the streets and I talked the language of reality. And I've found out wherever I've gone in the world. I've been in countries where I didn't even speak the language and I've understood people and they've understood me. They can see it in your eyes. People can see in your eyes whether you're putting them down or putting them up or bulging them, pardon me. They told me, go and do this and that and that and then you'll have a union card and the doors will open up to you. Well, you know there's an old phrase about the Phoenix. You know how many years with two young children when you can't make a living? Many people in this room have been through it or are going through it right now. You've done everything right, perhaps a business has failed. You've done everything right, perhaps your wife left. You've done everything right, perhaps your, your husband left. You've done everything right, a, a career failed on you. You feel like giving up. You think you're gonna die. You think you can't go on. But that's just the point at which it gets interesting. That is where you can go on. Because I learned as a very young guy when I was 17 years old from an old wise salesman, uh, he said to me, the sale begins when the customer says no. I didn't understand what he meant. What he tried to teach me was anybody could sell anything to anyone if they want it. It's when the customer says, no, I don't want that, thank you, or get away from me. I just, I don't want to open the door. That's where a salesman begins. So I remembered those messages. I remembered the Japanese boy killing himself, and I made a decision. I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to make the sale. I'm going to get what I want out of this country one way or another. So like the phoenix, I died. I died. I became ashes. I was just a piece of molten metal in a cauldron. And in that cauldron, I was remade. I am telling you, I remade myself into a new person. And I realized that what Father Savage had taught me, which I'd argued against all my life, was true. He said, it's a jungle out there. He said, it's a war out there. And I said, come on, Dad, you come from the old country. The world isn't like that. This is a different place. And he was dead by the time I came to understand his words, because he had been expired in the war called life. It was a noble way to go. Everyone has to go. Trick is to just keep working till you go anyway. I was remade. Now, let's speed the camera up. I'm studying, 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 and what do I discover? Many of the immigrants coming in illegally and even legally are bringing in diseases. So I try to publish a paper after having written many books, and no publisher will touch immigrants and epidemics. My professors told me all of the illnesses that we had been afraid of were now cured and under control with one medication or another. And I knew that was false. I knew the TB would shoot up in the late 80s, and it has. Nobody would publish it because it was, it was politically incorrect to say that. Well, what I did instead was, is I made an audio tape. I set up a fake radio show in a studio, and I had Mrs. Savage and a few friends call in like they were fake callers, and I made up a fake radio show. And I, it's, I wish I had it here. I, I, one of these days I'll play it on the air. The opening goes like this with music, and it says, and now from high atop the Empire State Building in Manhattan's New York City, welcome to the Savage Nation. It was made up in a little radio studio. And now I did a whole thing on immigrants and epidemics, made this fake tape, and sent it out to 250 radio stations. And lo and behold, one radio station in my own backyard said, it's an interesting tape, why don't you come in and let's blah, blah, blah. And really, that's how it happened. But it started because I wanted to get that message out. And you know, it goes back to an early 19th century naturalist who I love very much, John Burroughs. I don't know if anybody ever remembers this old dude, but I used to, I used to read him. And he wrote a thing, he said, if you bait your hook with your heart, the fish will always bite. And I baited that tape with enough heart and the fish bit. But what's intriguing to me is that it was in my own backyard. It was a dream come true. And I went on to the other station and blah, blah, blah. And here I am at KSFO 
And of course, you know, it's a huge success because something's going on in the Bay Area and America that the mainstream media refuses to acknowledge. Look around this room. Do you see one, one camera from one television station? I don't. Do you see one reporter in this room? Is there anyone in this room who's a journalist? Huh? San Francisco Chronicle, San Francisco Examiner, Mercury News, Contra Costa Times. Huh? Ah, I see. But if five guys from illegal Mex illegals from Mexico came with a red flag and were throwing things through a glass plate window, they'd be there with every camera known to mankind. And they'd run up to them and say, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> what is it about you? What is it that enrages you, sir? Uh, uh, could you please tell me how, how fascist America has, has disappointed you? Uh, uh, uh? No, there's no bias in the media. But the bottom line is this, I'm an immigrant's son. And this is not about bashing immigrants, the, the savage nation. It's about what kind of immigrants we're getting. I don't care what color their skin is. I care what color their heart is. I care about the character of the immigrant. Anyone who travels in America sees hardworking Mexican people. Everybody sees them. I've spent many Thanksgivings, I've said it, in a one-room shack up in the mountains with dear friends of ours, a Mexican family. What does that have to do with anything? They're good people. We just like each other based upon values. We're talking about values. But if you're going to create a magnet through welfare and telling a guy he can have a $40,000 coronary bypass operation, as long as he sneaks across the border, he's going to sneak across the border. We have a bunch of traitors running this country. That's my personal feeling. <laughs> The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. So as I say, today is about immigration. It's also about self-protection. I have traveled all over the world trying to understand how a family's supposed to work. And some of my travels took me to the South Pacific. This is an authentic Marquesan war club. The Marquesan Islands I remember we were on a ship, the Royal Viking Sea. I was lecturing, so I got two free cabins for myself and the, and the wife and the kids. It was, you know, the great days of being out of work. And um, <laughs> that was one of the benefits, frankly, of having all those degrees and uh, not having a job. I was always able to make a living writing books or whatever. So I used to take sea cruises as a lecturer on these ships. And we went 10 days at sea. You know how far 10 days at sea is? It's better than flying because you get to see the real depth of land areas, I mean, how far things are. So I remember one dawn came on that ship and I was up at dawn drinking a bottle of Red Bordeaux by myself. I really was. Because I knew we were gonna make landfall in the morning. And I drank that bottle and I wrote a poem to my friend Paul Gauguin, who had been buried in those islands because I loved his art. And when we got to the islands, we went inland and we bought a bunch of things and this was still being carved. What's the symbol, what does it mean? It means every family, the father and the mother and the children. The father has to protect that family. So every man has something to protect his family with. See, they make a war club. This is a solid piece of hardwood, it's a bat. He can protect himself in a country where no one has guns with this. But we're in a country with guns, right? So we don't need war clubs, we need guns. So we have guns. Now I went to the Middle East. I went to the Middle East and what did I discover? In the Middle East, this is not loaded, in the Middle East, in the middle of last century, 
1850s. What is this? This is a flintlock 52 caliber pistol. And every Bedouin Arab, every Bedouin Arab, every Bedouin Arab slept with this gun under his head. Now, how do I know it? Because this gun is coated with nicotine. You know why it's coated with nicotine? Because he slept next to this gun. This gun was his lifeline. He knew he was in the middle of the desert with a wife and some children and some camels. And he knew if someone came sneaking around his tent at night, he had to go out and shoot that man because that man either wanted his wife or his camels. And I didn't know, and he didn't know in what order. <laughs> now let's come up to the present day. Every Bedouin Arab has a gun in his tent because he's got to protect his wife and children from God knows what. What would happen if the king of Saudi Arabia said to these Bedouin Arabs, we want you to turn your guns in. And if somebody comes at night scratching at your tent door, just dial 911. Just send a message to King Faisal and we'll be there in a few days by camel. And that's why I say sanity dictates self-defense. You know that. These simple stories are profound in their uh, implications. If Bill Clinton wins again, we, bought, we all fear in this room that one of the things he's going to try and do is disarm America. And I'm telling you it's the equivalent of, of national suicide. I can prove it on a national scale. Between World War I and World War II, it was a terrible war, World War I. People wanted peace. Everybody wants peace. I want peace and you want peace. But we're not insane. But there was a, uh, uh, a whole wind of pacifism swept through America. I don't know if many of you know it, the older folks know this. There was a campaign called Peace Through Disarmament. Do you remember, does anyone remember that? Do you know that in the 1930s, our US warships from World War I were not mothballed, but they were sunk. They were scuttled and sunk because it was believed that if you got rid of the weapons of war, there'd be no war. There's no bad people on Earth, right? Well, wrong. While we were sinking our ships, Hitler was building his ships. And while we were sinking our ships, uh, the Japanese were building the biggest navy in the world, the most profound navy in the world. So when World War I, when World War II broke out, we had to go and take the ships from the bottom of the bay and refloat them and rearm them. Very few people remember that. So just beware, be warned, beware the Ides of November. There is no peace through disarmament. There is only death through disarmament, and that means you. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. This is about one family, and I thought that since we're talking about the bricks of society called the family, we have to talk about food because food is very much a part of all cultures and all families. You know, in this age of nutrition, which I know a lot about, we often forget that food is more than a bunch of vitamins and minerals and carbohydrates and proteins. Food carries whole cultures. That's why people like ethnic meals. It makes them feel good. It ties them to their, to their relatives. So I wanted to take a slight uh, dis uh, discursive move here because food is very political to me. And I want to read you something called when pasta was spaghetti. The reason I wrote this, 
I'll get the Italians dancing in a minute. The reason I wrote when pasta was spaghetti is simple. I grew up when spaghetti was 50 cents a plate and it wasn't a fancy thing, it was the food of the common person. And suddenly I'm, I arrive in California in the 1990s and pasta's $11 because they're calling it pasta. And you eat it and you think it's something different, but it's the 50 cent spaghetti. I used to have in Romeo's Spaghetti House in New York. So I dedicated this to some of the guys that I used to see down in New York with hairy forearms who used to make the spaghetti and stick their arm and pick it up with their hand. And they wore crazy outfits like this, which I thought was theatrically ingenious in those days. You know, the cooks wore these. They were a little greasier, it's true. So I'm gonna read when pasta was spaghetti and dedicate this to all the grandfathers and all the grandmothers of all ethnicities. The hairy forearms of New York serve you your coffee with a turning gesture, an offering that says drink, eat, enjoy. The wiry Italian in Vincent's clam bar, the one behind the greased over register, the young kid connected who receives his deference from the spaghetti cook, older than his gangster father, the spaghetti cook, who looks like an old-fashioned doctor from the Bronx with clipped mustache. He actually pulls some noodles out of the pot and eats them as they cook, looking to the grimy ceiling for his tender answer. Well, they used to call it spaghetti. Now it's pasta at 10 bucks a plate. The smoky windows of Romeo's spaghetti now offer radios and knickknacks. It was 50 cents a plate then in neon letters that you couldn't miss, even through a fogged over window on a cold winter's eve, there was life. Marinara sauce that smacked to the sea. Noodles as long as your young arm. Meatballs as fluffy as your dream of them. Bread on the table that you'd eat against your parents' admonitions that stop eating the bread, the meal is coming. And men, men, some burly with black hairy forearms whose smiles scared you, and little skinny guys with the look of murder on their faces. And people who slurped their spaghetti straight to their mouths from the plate in one motion like Chinese shoveling rice at mouth with clicking sticks. That was gusto before it became a beer ad. That was taste before it became a synonym for fashion. That was spaghetti before it became pasta. I come from an immigrant. I could do this without a microphone. We learn how to yell to sell our goods. You know, there's a lot of talk about multiculturalism. And as I say, I've traveled the world, Marquesas, to the Middle East, Near East. I respect all cultures. I happen to respect all cultures. I understand the genius of all of them. In order to survive in those communities, people develop civilizations, societies and cultures. But still in all, I love America the best. That's why I live here. And that's why I say, if people immigrate to America, God bless them, keep your language, keep your culture, but assimilate. Take on some of the mainstream as well. Don't spit on America and say it's beneath you. This is the greatest society ever, ever seen on the planet. Why? As I said, I have nothing against multiculturalism. Nothing. I have nothing against Ethiopia, for example, or Ethiopians. But I prefer somehow antipasto to roasted hippopotamus balls. I don't know why. Does that make me an ethnic racist? No. Does it make me a purist? No. It's a matter of what you're used to. What I wanted to do I went and got the original contract with America that the Republicans put out. And I have the 10 points. I want to go through the 10 of them real fast and ask you if you find any of them offensive, as offensive as the Democrats say they are. One, the, I'll just read them. 
The Fiscal Responsibility Act, balanced budget. That was number one, the economy. Still very important. Two, the Taking Back Our Streets Act. Very powerful anti-crime package, much different than this one that they put out. Three, uh, Personal Responsibility Act. Discourage illegitimacy in teen pregnancy. Four, the Family Reinforcement Act. Fifth, the American Dream Restoration Act. That was a $500 per child tax credit. Six, the, Social, the National Security Restoration Act. No U.S. troops under U.N. command. You have a problem with that one? Number seven, the Senior Citizens Fairness Act. Eight, the Job Creation and Wage Enhancement Act. Nine, legal reform. Oh, tell that to Barbara Boxer. You can't have legal reform because you deny the right of the poor to sue if you have legal reform, don't you? Sure. It's not about the lawyers, it's about the poor, sure. And 10 was the Citizen Legislature Act, a first ever vote on term limits. Hmm. We seem to have forgotten all of these common sense contract with America points. I don't see anything wrong with any of them, do you? I really don't. Okay, so I want to remember them going into this election and coming out of this election. We've got to keep our focus on these 10 points and not let them distract us. But I've added a few to my contract with the Savage Nation. One, uh, 11, Immigration Reform Act. End all legal immigration for five years. Yes or no? And this is gonna be one, thank God there's no press here unless they're taking secret notes. This is part of the Immigration Reform Act because it's compassionate for the American citizens who are here. I care about them first. Deport all immigrants who may have been naturalized since 1987 and who have utilized public services for over two years. Does that make sense? And number 12, which is gonna be the most controversial one, but I am telling you, I'm gonna make this happen if I can. Number 12 is the Affirmative Action Reparation Act. And I said Reparation Act. Reparation Act. Compensate all citizens whose lives have been put on hold as a result of affirmative action. The ACLU wrote the, uh, the laws which were to become affirmative action. And they said, in order for affirmative action to op be operational, some lives will have to be put on hold. Well, my life was put on hold. And there are countless millions of others whose lives were put on hold. And many of us have had our lives destroyed, our hearts broken, our families disseminated and dissipated to the wind. And I think that it's fair to say we deserve compensation from the social engineers who pulled it upon us. So I say, let's look at reparations. Number 13, and this is the last point of my contract with the Savage Nation, would be the American Loyalty Act. A, establish a new equivalent to HUAC, House of Un-American Activities Committee. You may say, oh, come on, that's terrible, that's reactionary, we don't want another McCarthy. I say we do, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I say that. Not because I want more government interference, but I want less government interference from illegitimate, illegitimate, unpatriotic people who want to tear this country down. We are surrounded by HUAC right now, only they go under other names. I can name them all, MALDEF, the ACLU, National Organization for Women. I'll give you an example. The now, uh, uh, wait, the EEOC is the equivalent of HUAC. If you run a business, and you don't hire enough for this, enough for that, or a guy comes in and he breaks something or robs something, and you fire him, and then he sues you under the ADA because he says he has a disability called un uncontrollable thievery. <laughs> he can't control the impulse to rob from his boss, and that's an illness covered by the ADA. So as I say, isn't that the same thing? Look, what, what did UAC do in the 50s? 
They would investigate top government officials, say, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Very simple loyalty oath. Well, aren't they saying to you, are you now or have you ever been disloyal to the EEOC? And if so, they sue you. They wreck your business. To me, they have, there's many, many, many Medusas called UACs all over the country. There's these little politically correct pressure groups. They are the left-wing UACs. And the very people who would say, we don't want fascism, we don't want UAC, they're doing it to you. Think about what I'm saying. They have many UACs. They're like Medusa heads, though. And that's why I say, let's go back to the first point. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. I believe in one god. It's real simple. And I believe in one UAC. I don't need 500 Medusa head UACs. Let's have one loyalty oath, and let's have one House of Un-American Activities Committee. I wanted to investigate all cabinet-level bureaucrats, not you, not I, not every businessman. I don't want a general terror running through the land, but I want a government I can trust. And so therefore, I don't want a, a Doris Meisner who passes all the politically correct little UACs, and she is approved by now, she's approved by the ACLU, she's approved by the immigration groups, so they say, make her the commissioner. No. I want one central committee that investigates all cabinet-level bureaucrats, all judges, regarding their loyalty to and support of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and non-allegiance to socialist forms of government. Michael Savage, a host like no other. federal government, ladies and gentlemen, has destroyed the Constitutional Republic. It exceeds its authority in countless areas. Today, we effectively have no Constitution and no states, by the way. We just have one overbearing, all-powerful, centralized government which does what the hell it wants. You know it and I know it. We want states' rights, we want local rights, and we want individual rights, and we want it back. That's what this revolution in 92 was all about. While meddling in areas where it has no authority whatsoever, the federal government has failed in its constitutional duties. It is, has a constitutional duty to provide a sound monetary system, to balance its budget, to protect our borders, to protect the rights of American citizens, and to conduct foreign policy, including trade matters, for the benefit of the American people. The federal government has failed us on every one of those points. The federal government has agreed to surrender on a piecemeal basis. The very independence the American Revolution fought to establish. It has done this by surrendering sovereign powers to international organizations. I want that ended. We have a BATF and an FBI. God bless them. There are some very loyal men in those organizations and women. But I'm afraid that the organizations have turned their attention on innocent Americans in many cases, instead of the real terrorist threats of this country. They were real fast to get and kill Randy Weaver's wife and son, weren't they? How come they haven't been able to find the people who blew TWA out of the sky? Federal government is failing us, ladies and gentlemen, which is why you're here today. It's not to see a radio talk show host. It's because I'm touching a raw nerve within all of us, and it's a nerve that runs through the nation. For the first time, as several public opinion polls have shown, large numbers of us, us Americans, are afraid of our own government. And that's a situation that Americans should consider intolerable. 
a government should be friendly. It should not be hostile to its own people. The liberals have led the American people into a swamp. Government has adopted, contrary to the spirit of the First Amendment, a hostile attitude toward religion, a hostile attitude toward the traditional family and traditional morality, despite lip service. I want that ended. It's the only way we can save this country. Now, I could go on and on, but I won't. I wanted to just touch some high points, and I think those are some of the high points of the new contract with America. I do believe we will eventually gain, as uh, Roosevelt said, the inevitable triumph. I do. I truly believe we will gain the inevitable triumph, so help us God. That's what Roosevelt said, so help us God. And that shouldn't be left out of any one of the statements coming out of the president's office. I rarely hear it. Do you ever hear that? Father, do you hear that much? I don't hear that. And I want to hear it again. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to hold snakes up and drink uh, uh, holy water to understand that the family and God are the bedrock of any civilization. Without it, we're going we're to just go off the edge of the earth. We've got to turn that around. I want to read you something because I told you this is about family. And I told you it's about one grandfather and one grandmother sitting here when they were still living, touching their heads in an apple orchard somewhere in America, upstate New York. I dedicate this to those deceased ancestors of mine. It was written in 1985, 87, when Jimmy Carter was president. Probably the darkest time, 1977, sorry, in, in, when Jimmy Carter was president. And I called it the death of the white male. And I sent it to Jimmy Carter. I'd like you to hear it because it goes way beyond one race and one gender. It started with white males, but it hasn't ended there. And I warn people that if they selectively removed one gender and one race, everybody would wind up getting it in the end. And here's how it was. White male professors and legalistic hypocrites declaring an end to injustices call for the death of their kind, excluding themselves. To make up for generations of sad injustices, we declare the hiring by racial quota a just service. After all, their jobs are made for life. So why not give at the expense of those who prove by excellence the noose of unemployment at the end of the long, dark tunnel of trial? But why not give our fashionable minorities the jobs of those at the top? Those who cry for justice, let the braying sheep throw their own skins to the stalking hungry, giving all an equal opportunity. I am an equal opportunity employee, the son of Benjamin, a small shopkeeper, the grandson of Samuel, a serf. Did I enslave the Hispanics or did they do the enslaving here the, in, in the Americas? Have you forgotten history, my dear white male friends? Are Cortez and De Soto mere automobile insignias? Native American Indians of the Southern Hemisphere shot from cannons, not by my ancestors, perhaps yours. The ears of forest-dwelling children of God cut off in Russia by axe-wielding peasants with potato faces. Natives of the Amazon similarly maimed by Portuguese adventurers. I am the smallest minority in America, an individual man who aligns himself with no group, calls himself by no race, but strives always for excellence. I am an equal opportunity employee, and I stand behind no false systems braying for a chance. In mass production America, we make machines which break too readily. 
all subject to recall. Applying the same system to humans now, to people, we desire mass-produced equality based on a certain number of colors evenly arranged on totalitarian charts in Washington and every state capital. In every mayor's office, in every school, at every job site, a nice, orderly arrangement of colors like so many poppy red refrigerators and so many white ones and so many black ones and so many brown ones. We demand the production of equality in America today. Our sense of assembly line consciousness demands such even-handedness at the expense of quality. Listen, my screaming friends. Listen to me. You no longer have the right to cop to your grandfather's serfdom because you got the same access to tools that I have. Listen, friends, here's a secret. Without quality, there is no equality. In the world of man, when someone goes up, another goes down. By being shut out, and if there are only a certain number of slots created by the boys who run the ship, then take your chances alongside me without declaring yourselves the oppressed. Yes, I appeal to your manliness, to your own sense of pride, because what you get to easily, you won't enjoy. You'll distrust yourself forever, always knowing that far more worthy souls were forever locked out in exile by their oppressors, those ruling professional mouths who lose nothing by employing you. I am an equal opportunity employee, the smallest minority in America, and your little game of color shuffle looks awfully white to me. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.